Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and skunks, everywhere singing with Gaga, baby, I was born this way. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's Tea with BVP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host with the most, and I ain't no ghost, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of being born this way, with me are my co-hosts, and I'm just gaga all over them all the time, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, kids. Uh, hello, everybody. <laughs> oh, come on. A little bit more enthusiasm I mean, there. hi. Yeah. How no. is everyone today? Walter, did you, did, did you forget to take your caffeine pill today? <laughs> it appears that way. No, he was born that way. I'm so tired. <laughs> well played. Yeah, he's, he's lower than a second-tier basement. Something's wrong with you today. I'm going oh. to have to pinch you or something. And, and today's, today's a holiday. You should be excited. It's a holiday. Today it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. Did anybody know, did the ha- Groundhog see a shadow? Whatever happened, we have six more weeks. So I well, think, does that mean he saw his shadow? If he saw his shadow, we have six more yeah, weeks. Yeah, so he saw his shadow. Oh, well, that's too bad. Do you know, Walter, do you know what the origins of Groundhog Day are in the United States? Um, at some point I did. I don't remember, though. You, we, Tell me about them. At some point you did and you've forgotten. Oh, I, that happens to me all the time. I don't remember that, that kind of information. Because it's tied to Angelica. That's why I'm asking <laughs> you. Oh, no. Go right ahead. Let's really? hear it. Yeah. It's the Germans. German Pennsylvanians and brought this holiday and to punk us. Satani. Well, huh. no, actually, well, I don't, that's where it's <laughs> located now, but it was actually in, was it Western Pennsylvania? Or I Southwestern Pennsylvania? No I forget idea. where. Huh. But yeah, it's a German American holiday, actually. So. There you go. And That's I don't know why it's crazy. groundhogs and not squirrels or somebody else, but there you go. Groundhogs. Can't tame, can't tame the squirrels. Yeah. Well, and you know that um, it's because of where it was located that if it had been a little bit further north, the Groundhog mm-hmm. Day would have been in March. Hmm. I read that the other day in my history book. How's that for you? I always think it's funny that they say so winter will be coming to a close soon or we have six more weeks. It's like... Um, well, if we have six more weeks, that's probably a short winter for us anyway. So, yeah, but, well, you know, think about it. I so, mean, six more weeks, that's pretty... My first year here, before you got here, I was wearing short sleeves and shorts on March the 16th. It was 82 degrees. Danny, do you remember that? It was March 16th, I think it was, or 18th, in 2012. And it was like, the winter was over by the end of February. It was ridiculous. Hmm. Anyway. Today, Speaking of February, go ahead. But today is another holiday, too. Which is what? International Crepe Day. International Crepe Day. Mm-hmm. Really? Hey, mm-hmm. There you Man, go. I Thanks, need to go Darren, get me some of those. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Karen, Darren. Karen. Oh, okay. Karen. 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 Yes. Darren. <laughs> See, there's something wrong with my headphones, you guys. Mm. I, I, it's like underwater. So I have to Daniel to work on these headphones. And do you know what holiday is on the 5th? No. World Nutella Day. No way. Oh, my gosh. And they need to just combine those my two days. Ba- right, right. Crepe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crepes Nutella. Is that it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Nutella banana. Yep, exactly. Ooh. That's that's the standard. Well, what else is going on in February? Well, we have a special contest going on yeah. in February. What's our contest? We're having a special birthday greeting card contest. If you remember last week, I said we were going to have a con because it's my birthday, Blinken's birthday, Liz Taylor's birthday, all kinds of famous people have birthdays in February. Um, and so we actually have posted on our website, Luca has put up, the rules for the contest, I'm not going to go over with you with over them with you on the air. Um, go to teawithbbb.com, and you can find them there. I will say the following. We have two categories. There is going to be a contest for the serious card, birthday greeting card, and a con- uh, category or contest for the funny um, or funniest uh, birthday greeting card. And you can submit uh, your cards in a second language, but alas... Because we're limited to the three languages we, or four languages we speak in this room, you might have to provide translations. Not have to. I mean, not might have to. You will have to provide translations. Um, so they can Because be we won't know if they're funny or serious yeah, otherwise. Yeah, so we could, we could appropriately, appropriately evaluate them. So that's going to be fun. I'm looking to see. Remember, and don't forget to have to have an L2 slant to them, too. Did you see what I put on the website, Walter? I haven't looked at it. Should I look now? My, my, my greeting card sample was roses are red, violets are blue, it's your birthday, so learn an L2. Oh, I did read that, yes. Thank <laughs> you. All right. I'm sure people will come up with something much, much more clever than that. But the whole idea is to have some kind of second language um, slant to your greeting card. All right. 
There we go. We are done. We have a great topic today. We're continuing our topic from last week. Last week, um, we launched a topic of comparisons of L1 and L2 acquisition, focusing on similarities. Today, we're going to focus on differences, and I'll get to that in just a bit. Um, but let me remind everybody that during the show, there's the SLA challenge question. I will give you the question in a few minutes. It is related to L1 and L2 differences. I'll give you that hint. And the first person to make it to the phones with the answer wins a prize. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, the same for the Diva Challenge question. I have a tough one today, kids. Uh, I, I, I don't know what happened to me. I just decided huh. I was going to give a tough Diva, uh, tough Diva Challenge question. Huh. But it's, Did it's, you just say that it wasn't an easy one? No, I said it was. Oh. I mean, no, no. No, you said it was a difficult one. It was one. A tough. It's yeah. a tough one. They're always, quote, so easy, unquote. Yeah. And now oh, I'm telling this you this one's they're tough. they're so hard, yeah. I mean, I you're going to have to really Googleize this one, like the heck mm. out of it to get the answer. Anyway, I'll read that question at some point, and again, you'll have time to call in with the right answer and win a prize. Uh, and, uh, of course, we have Angelica's Quote of the Week and Walter's Read of the Week coming up later in the show. The number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, Walter, I need to wake you up. What's the phone number? 517-884-4321. And guess what? We have a new call handler today. We have a new intern, Jennifer Lee, who's with us now. Jennifer's going to be personing the phones. Um, Dustin's in the background, shadowing her to help her out if she pushes a wrong button or something. So Jennifer's eagerly waiting for your phone calls and laughing because I said that. She's not going to push any wrong buttons. Um, so uh, please uh, please call in today with your thoughts on, on anything and also for the SLA challenge question and the Diva challenge question. Um, Angelica, as usual, will be looking at Mixler, and there's always a lot of action on Mixler. And if you can Mixlerize, you can call in. So please call us. Please, please, please call us. Don't forget it's my birthday month. If you don't call in, I'm no, going to be disappointed. No, gifts. no, no cake. I know. No cake for I know. Anyone. We're going to have to start. We're going to have to cancel the show. If you no BVP it. for you. Mm, be, uh-huh. No, we're going to have <laughs> that. We're going to have to just cancel the show and not have a show anymore <laughs> if people don't call in. Okay, Walter, Walter, give him the phone number again. 517-884-4321. There you go. All right. See, they make me gaga. <laughs> Baby, uh, they were born this way. Okay. Okay, our topic this week is just how different is second language acquisition from first language acquisition, part two. Uh, Last week, again, as I said, we focused on fundamental similarity, just how similar first language and second language acquisition are at their core. And if you need a refresher on that, please listen to that show and um, check up on what we talked about last week. Again, this week we're focusing on differences. So I'm going to do a quick synopsis. I've come up with four differences that I think are clear differences between first and second language acquisition. And they're not core differences in the sense of the internal mechanisms. Uh, as somebody said last week, they, uh, somebody tweeted us that they thought the differences were largely external. And to a certain point, that's true. I'll get, we'll get to some of that in a minute. But um, so here are, here are some ideas I came up with for, a, um, for the differences between first and second language acquisition. One is motivation. Um, there's something different about um, why people learn a first language and why people learn a second language. It's then, of course, that's the why is related to motivation. Kids, little kids don't have a chance, a choice. They just, you know, that's what they got to do. Uh, if they're going to be part of a society, they got to learn the modes of communication, both verbal and nonverbal. Um, whereas second language learners can choose to learn a language, or if they immigrate, they can't. They've got to learn it. And and so even in the context of L2 acquisition, motivations is probably a better term than motivation. Okay, another big difference between first and second language acquisition is quality and quantity of input, um, as well as access to input. Um, children in learning a first language just get vastly, vastly more input across the developmental span than most second language learners get. Um, if you remember, I've talked about this before, stop thinking about time on task as years. For example, like a kid learns a language by the age of five for the most part. Um, and, you know, and then five years, an adult learning a second language is, is you know, not as far. Well, that's because you're thinking in years and not in terms of hours. If you start to compare the number of hours that children spend in the language, uh, interacting with input and other speakers compared to what an adult learner does in that same five-year time span, we're talking apples and bananas 
uh, in terms of the, uh, the quantity of input. And the quality is different, too. The way you talk to kids is different. We're much more supportive of kids. And we accept, you know, we accept the fact that they're not going to speak in adult-like sentences. We talk at their level and so on, whereas with adults and adolescents, we tend to want to try to make the, what we do fit their level of intelligence, which is odd because they don't have the language to speak at their level of intelligence or interact with them. Anyway, there's also access to input. Again, in the context of L1, um, if, you're a, if you're in a natural environment and there's nothing weird going on in your family, you have plenty of access to input. Whereas second language learners may not. They may have restricted access. Or if they live in a ghetto in an immigrant environment or a restricted um, input environment, they're going to get less input than children get, for example. Of course, uh, what do you guys think the biggest difference is between first and second language acquisition? If I were to ask you that, what would you say, Angelica? What would you say, Walter? Hmm. That it's a second other, language and not the first language. Other than other than <laughs> the, other than tautology. So other than the two things that you've just mentioned. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. What, what do second language learners have that first language learners don't have? A first language. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. And so sec- first language learners start with whatever universals nada. or nada. It was not nada because we believe that there are universals and so on. There's something else going on in the brain that makes language behave in certain ways. But second language learners have a first language already. And it's not clear how that interacts with second language acquisition. That's up for debate. But it's clearly there. I've talked about this in the past. That it, it, it does something. Um, but it also makes people frustrated because... It's so hard to speak in a second language, so hard to learn to say, I already have a first language, you know, and you want to go to your first language already because it's easier. Um, so learning a second language is hard, and having all these thoughts in your head in the L1 and being able to communicate in L1 just frustrates you in your L2. And finally, the last difference um, that I came up with was that second language learners seemingly are all non-native-like in some way. You can either tell by the way they pronounce words or sounds or uh, sentence structure. There's something that you might, and learners vary across the board on what makes them non-native-like. And the reason I say seemingly is because it's an appearance, and people think it is some deep, deep thing going on that is making uh, second language acquisition different from first language acquisition because supposedly first language learners all converge on their language, right? They all become native-like in some way. Um, and I say seemingly because it's not clear to me that it's a, a difference that's that's not traceable to things like quality and quantity of input over time um, and the presence of an L1. So it's not like there's something fundamentally different about acquisition here. There's something, there's other factors that they're conspiring against L2 learners becoming native-like that have nothing to do with the processes of acquisition. Well. They're not the processes. They're, they, they affect the processes, but they're not the processes themselves. So anyway, so if you're interested and you want to talk uh, about any of these ideas and um, call in and offer your own considerations about L1, L2 differences, um, or if you think this means anything for language teaching or not, um, we are happy to hear from you on that. And uh, I was actually going to pull up something. Here it is. I was going to pull up from Twitter some comments that people already made uh, made about this topic. So I will start us off with that. Okay, Uh, Dory says the following. She says that um, uh, about similarities, it should all be rooted in desire to communicate. She's talking about language teaching here because Luca asked people, how does this stuff, what does this stuff mean for language teaching for you? And she says, uh, similarities between first and second language acquisition and what this means for teaching is that Everything should be rooted in the desire to communicate. Um, and she goes, something that's different is a novice L2 speaker doesn't mean they have novice thoughts. That's what I was trying to say earlier. I think Dory and I are right, on, are in agreement on that. That when you have an L1 already and you're trying to, you want to express non-novice thoughts, it gets frustrating because I can do this in my L1, you know, but I can't do this in my L2. You know, in the first year of a language course, you're at the one-word stage, like a one and a half-year-old. But you have 20-year-old thoughts, you know? So yeah, it's, it's frustrating. All right. Um, Mikey Sterpe, one of our favorite people who writes in a lot and tweets us, never calls in. <laughs> My gosh. Um, it says that assuming literacy in L1, access to more L2 input via reading. That's a difference. And that's true that um, you, can, you can, I mean, because L2 learners are literate, 
uh, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, um, then you can supplement and you can get actual additional input. You can get more complex input too right away because when you, you know, written input tends to be more complex than oral input. But he says that, you know, the, of course, there's, if they've got a different L2 alphabet, then that's not going to help at all. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see. Last week, some of the people from last week talked about these differences too. Um, Senor Schwab says he thought that they were all external factors and later tweeted the following, uh, that first and second language acquisition are following the same, only external factors are different. Internal factors are the same. Yeah, it depends on how you define external. External to what? Um, but I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, okay, uh, let's just stop there. Again, the phone number, if you want to call in, uh, is 517-884-4321. 517-884-4321. Walter, what time is it? It's about 3.16 and 8 seconds, and I believe it's about time now for the SLA Challenge question. Oh, he's perking up, Angelica. He's perking up. Finally. He's perking up. Okay, it's time for the SLA challenge question. Here we go. Listen carefully, peoples. Since we're talking about differences, what scholar launched the well-known fundamental difference hypothesis in the late 1980s? Again, what L2 scholar launched the well-known fundamental difference hypothesis in the late 1980s? First one to the phone. And uh, Toxic Jennifer will win a prize if you have the correct answer. All right. So that's it. That's our SLA challenge question. That one's easy, actually. That's a really <laughs> well-known hypothesis. What? So why did you say it was very hard? No, no the, that's diva the diva challenge. Oh, oh sorry. I'm, Are I, you listening? I'm listening. I guess mm. my brain got mixed up. <laughs> I guess it did. Good thing well, I wasn't doing that. always the L- hard for Good me, thing so. I wasn't doing that in the L2. He was having L1 thoughts or something. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so do we have any email or Mixler things already coming in while we wait for the phones to ring? Poor Jennifer's looking at me through the glass going, nobody's calling me. I'm new as an intern. They don't like me. Mm. So sad. Come on, people. Call in for Jennifer. Gotta make her feel good. Call in for Jennifer. She'll quit. She'll go intern with somebody else if you don't call in and give her something to do. True. Wish BVP a happy birthday month. No, not yet. No, we could. My birthday's coming up. Anyway, so what's going on in email? What's going on on Mixler? Nothing. Nothing? Mm. Nothing. Nothing. Everybody agrees? Yeah. I, I mean, I have. I can read an email to you. Would you like me to read an email to you? I would like for you to read an email to me. All right. Here we go. It's a lovely little email. It's from Beth. She has two ideas. And we want to put this out there for our listeners. So here's what she says. She has a suggestion for a future show topic. And it is... I'm on board with the idea of comprehensible input and task-based instruction, and I think the majority of listeners are too. What I want to know more about is how to plan task-based instructional units. thought it might be a good show idea to have teachers call in with their task-based and or CI instruction ideas. I know I would benefit from hearing how more people are doing this and what goes into their planning. And then her second idea, she says, is a bunch of people out there have great task-based instructional ideas, I would love for there to be an online database or something where teachers could get and share their plans. Not sure if this is something that should necessarily be organized through Tea with BVP or not, but maybe something like this already exists and I just don't know about it. So that's from Beth. People out there listening, call in. Let us know if you know if anything like that exists or if you have any ideas. And... uh, yeah, uh, Hopefully let us know. Beth will listen. Let us know too if you want to show uh, some, some more shows about tasks and people calling in and sharing ideas. Um, I, it's not clear to me that there are a lot of people that they're actually doing tasks in the classroom. Um, it's because I, whenever I travel, I always get asked to talk about it because it seems like nobody really knows what they are, what tasks are, and and are using them in the classroom. So might you know might be good to talk about that again in some different way, and maybe get some more of the nitty gritty. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a workshop on tasks in Atlanta next Monday. Next um, Monday. So I'm, Atlanta, I mean, so Beth, if you're near yeah, Atlanta. If you're near Atlanta, Beth, um, I'm do- <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there's a conference on comprehensible input in the Atlanta area on Monday, Monday and Tuesday, I think, but I'm only going to be there on Monday. And I'm doing the keynote on Monday morning, and then I'm following that up with a, with a workshop on tasks for people. So, Well, I'll just add one last thing from Beth. Here's what she sure. says. Thanks for such a wonderful, thought-provoking, and inspiring show. 
listening is like my weekly therapy. Oh, <laughs> oh, very nice. That's nice. You know, I'm getting physical therapy again. I told you guys that last week, right? For my elbow and my my neck injury. Oh well. Well, and Karen says that there is a Facebook group that can be a starting point. We can post that group on our resources list. If you're on Mixler right now, Karen just posted the link. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll put that up. We'll let people know. Okay, we have a call coming in. Um, we have Karen from Illinois. Karen, are you on the line? Yes, I'm a different Karen. <laughs> yeah, not the one who just Mixlerized, right? No. <laughs> Karen, what part of Illinois are you calling from? Uh, DeKalb. DeKalb. Northern Illinois University. Oh, Northern mm-hmm. Illinois. Yeah, yeah, I've been yeah. there. Great place, great place. You're about an hour yeah, outside so of Chicago. Listening to your show while moving offices, but I think I heard the SLA challenge question. Oh, okay. Well, I shall repeat it, and then you great. can provide an answer. Okay, here we go. What scholar launched the well-known fundamental difference hypothesis in the late 1980s? Karen, take it away. Blythe Roman. Exactly. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. It was Robert Blythe Roman. Yes. Yay, Robert. I was going to say Robert. Yes, yeah. Robert Blythe <laughs> Roman, um, who actually I took a course with when I was in graduate school. He was at Texas for Really? Yeah, before he left. So I love the original fundamental difference hypothesis paper. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he has like a newer fundamental difference hypothesis paper, and it's a little bit weird, isn't it? Like the, the, the 2009 the two, one? The 2009 one, yeah, because yeah. it's almost like he recognizes that some of those basic ideas that launched the fundamental hypothesis don't kind of hold up anymore because most of those differences were external, the kind of things we're talking about, right. motivation and this and that. And the crux of fundamental difference would be the core stuff, the processes, and that's what he was trying to get to the second time. Um, but I, do, I do like the first paper because it made me think about, again, Absolutely, yeah. Even if you publish something that's really, really wrong, a lot of people will read it and be inspired to contradict it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or to or to think about what it really means. Because nothing he said in there was wrong, except that those, in my mind, those are actual fundamental differences. They are differences, but they're not fundamental differences. So, yeah. Totally well, agree. Well, Karen, thanks. That was great. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you called in. And um, I know you gave your information to Jennifer already, so you will get a little prize from us in the mail soon, okay? Ooh, what is it? Well... Um, do you a have secret? a set of, do you have a set of coasters yet? <laughs> I do not have a set of coasters. Well, then you'll get our standard set of coasters. If you already had those, we'd send you something else. So you will get a set of four coasters with a BB, uh, tea with BBP logo on them. There you go. Excellent. All Thank right. you. Okay. Go, Karen. All right. Enjoy. Thanks, Karen. Have a great time in Chicago or uh, DeKalb. <laughs> you too. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Uh, not DeKalb. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Because I, I, when I lived in Chicago, I went to DeKalb a couple of times and gave some talks out there. So it's a good school. I like they're nice people out there. All right. Um, Wally. Wally. I think uh, we've got some calls lining up. Before we go to the calls, do you want to tell us, do you have a reading of the week? Uh, do you have well, something the, that you'd like people to become literate in? Sure. Um, this is hot off the presses again. It is the January-February 2017 issue of The Language Educator, Volume 12, Issue 1. And there's breaking news. And the breaking news is not about our new president. Thank God. It's about languages. And there is a preliminary report released by the AAAS, the Academy of Arts and Sciences, or the AAAS. I don't know. Do they call it the AAAS? I don't know. (laughs) Probably. And it's on the state of languages in the U.S. All right. So this is a preliminary report. And you can uh, there will be a more complete report coming out. But uh, it's on page eight of the language educator talks about um, where we are in the U.S. as far as languages, how people speaking other languages other than English and and language instruction. So there's just a one page report there. And then you can actually go to the website that it lists on that page uh, and get a little bit more information, but the the complete w- report will come out soon also. So, Yeah, that that's actually downloadable. Like you say, that's downloadable from the site now, the AAAS yeah. site. I think ACFL's posted that as well, so you might be get it, get it through ACFL. Um, and that one's being followed up. That's the statistical one, right, Walter? That's the... Uh, it's a statistical portrait. Okay, because the, the second one coming out, that's the follow-up to that, is about the implications and consequences 
um, of the statistical information. So there's two reports coming out. So that's a, that's a good one. That's a good thing for people to read. I'm there glad you, you brought that up. All right. Is there anything you don't know about? So you already <laughs> knew everything about it. So. Well, actually, I'm going to be talking about that this summer at ATSP. <laughs> I'm on a panel to of talk about that. Of course you are. So. <laughs> no, there's a lot of things. As Peggy Lee say, I don't know much. Okay, yeah. anyway, never mind. Okay, we have a caller on the line from the great state of North Carolina. Sean, are you on the phone? I am, Bill. How are you? I am doing just great. How are things in North Carolina? They're excellent. They're excellent. Have you repealed um, your bathroom law yet? <laughs> I, I think they are in the middle of doing that, actually. People okay, were uh, doing quite a bit about that. So, yeah, I think a lot of us are really happy with the the impending reversal on that one. Well, good. That's, that's, that's good news. Yeah, since you've yeah. got a new governor. All right. So what are you calling about, Sean? What's up? So I just wanted to call in and thank you personally for hooking me up with Ginny and uh, the school district down in Texas because I just got confirmed that I'm going to be able to observe for my Texas teacher certification oh, down there this month. Oh, so you're the Sean that uh, that sent me the email and I, I, I told people on the on the um, on the show if you know of anybody in Texas or in the Austin area that Sean was. Yes, I am. Okay. Wow, great, great. I'm glad that worked out for you. So it's all confirmed. Yes, it is. What so, kind of well, classes I'm, are you going to be observing? So I'm going to be able to see Spanish 1 through Spanish 4, and then hopefully also one for native speakers as well. Oh, for, for native speakers or heritage learners or both? Yes. Okay. Well, they, they call it Spanish for native speakers, so I would assume there's native, there's heritage learners as well. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, cool. That's great. Awesome. That's well, great news. No, no thanks are, are required, Sean. We're happy to do that kind of stuff when we can. At least I am. And so um, that was the easy thing to do for us to do a little shout out and look, it worked out for you. So good. See, it's all yeah. about networking, isn't it? It's all about yeah. networking. It, it really is. It's amazing how, how life can work when you know the right people. And mm-hmm. you guys are certainly the right people to know. So thank you all. So, Sean, before we let you go, tell us what your plans are. You Are, are you um, planning on moving to Texas or, or what's happening? Yeah, I think that's, that's most likely what will happen because, uh, you know, I'll have my... Um, for the whole, I'll be certified in the whole state. There are public or private school, independent schools. I'm sorry that I am looking into mm-hmm. um, as other possibilities, but I think it's most likely that I'll end up in Texas. And because Austin really is on my short list of places that I think fits who I am the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking for ideally a college town without um, without winter and just <laughs> a nice boss, <laughs> really. Because well, yeah, because I mean, I have issues with the winter it depresses me but um whenever i don't spend the winter in the north i really get stronger every year and things go well so that's why that's important well i understand my sister and i were just talking about that this last month when i was visiting out in california about how winter affects us and so yeah so well i hope everything works out for you sean i'm I'm glad that this at least this part is so we're going to cross our fingers for you that you that you're able to move down to the austin area and it all works out well, thank you, Bill. All right. No I'll problem. keep you posted. Okay, please do. You know how to get hold of us. All right. Okay, bye-bye, bye-bye Sean. Thanks for calling, Sean. Bye-bye. Best of luck. That's great. I'm glad that we can do that for people mm-hmm. now and then, you know. Just awesome. a, all it took was a little shout-out, and he got connected. Now he's going to do his observations. He'll get certified, and his, his, what do you call it? His world is opening up to do the things he wants to do. That's great. All right. Diva Challenge Questions, the DCQ. Mm. I'm going to start calling it the DCQ. I like it. <laughs> the DCQ. Are you ready for this? I'm going to see if Walter. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to say this question out loud, and Walter, don't give the answer, obviously, because we don't want to, you know. But just just let me and Angelica know if you know the answer. If it's okay? a hard one, do you yeah, really honestly exactly. think I'm going to know the answer? Yeah. Agreed. You might. Okay, here we go. Here's the question: What screen diva from the 1930s huh. is mentioned in the very first line of the Kim Carnes song "Betty Davis Eyes"? And it's not Betty Davis, okay? Um, what screen diva from the 1930s is mentioned in the very first line of the Kim Karen song, Betty Davis Eyes? I'll give everybody a hint. Her nickname was the Blonde Bombshell. You don't know, do you, Walter? I have a guess, but I'm not going to make All it right. because I don't want to, uh, you know, disturb people. Angelica's looking at Mixler. Me. People are already probably typing in there. Somebody better call in. This is a good one. And by the way, while we're waiting for that, last for those of you last week, do you remember the um, the diva question last week, Walter? What it was about? I haven't the slightest. 
<laughs> it was about the revival, the revival of Hello Dolly and Bette Midler going to Broadway this spring. Oh, that's right. Just so you know, yes. my idol and my personal diva, Bette Midler and Hello Dolly, has broken all box office records wow. on Broadway before it opens. Hmm. Isn't that awesome? You go, Bette. You go. All right. Okay, so what's going on? On uh, let's get back to our topic. Any Does Bet, do you know Bet personally? Like, if if we were to you know want to get Bet on the show, would you be able to call her up and say, <laughs> "Hey, Bet, do you think you could?" I have met her, but I would have to warn her about you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say <laughs> he knows who you are, but he's probably only heard like two of your songs and one of your movies or something like that. But <laughs> oh well. Anyway, okay. What's going on in the Mixler? What's going on in the email? Come on. Uh, people s- people want to know if you're giving any workshops in the summer. Um, yes. Good question. Uh, not at ATSP. Um, I will be at the um, IFLT, the International Forum on Language Teaching, in Denver, doing a workshop on uh, like a three-hour or four-hour workshop on second language acquisition, principles of language, language acquisition, what they mean for language teaching. That's more for people who either need a refresher or are new. Um, haven't thought about that or didn't have any work on that in their in their training, their education. And then I'm doing something similar the following week at the NTPRS, the National TPRS Conference. That will be in San Antonio. And I next week probably, next week or the week after, I'll be making some announcements uh, about some things up and coming. I can't do it just yet because we haven't quite completed um, some of the stuff we need to do for me to make the announcement, but then there'll be some other things that people can have access to. So I will make, I will leave you in suspense, leave you quivering with anticipation. <laughs> so <laughs> Walter has not seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, I'm sure. It's so sad. I know. That's actually a really good one. Can you see Walter being in the musical, <laughs> the Rocky Horror Picture Show? No. I mean, like, what role would he play? <laughs> What do you play, Dr. Frankenfurter? So, everybody, any uh, one want to call in? <laughs> 517-884-4321 is the number. We're waiting for your call. I know. I'm going <laughs> to ask Sean to call back. We can chat some more. I want to figure out what's going on. So, um, All right. Nothing. No, no more emails? Walter? I have no emails. None? These people don't like to call us anymore. They don't want to email us. We're going to cancel the done. show. They, yep. We're going to cancel That's the show it. at the end of this month. That's what we're going to do. We're done. We're done. No more show. No more show at the end We're of February. Going, going out big with your birthday greeting card challenge. Yep. The birthday greeting card will go out big after that. There we go. How's that sound? <laughs> okay. Um, Angelica, uh, would you like to uh, read your quote of the week? I would be delighted to do that. All right. Here goes my quote. Being creative is seeing the same thing as everybody else, but thinking of something different. Seeing the same thing as everybody else, but thinking, thinking of something different. That's being creative. Ooh. Okay. By my dear friend, Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. I like that guy more and more each time I read about him. Mm-hmm. Wish he were still alive, mm. especially now. Mm-hmm. He could use his, we could use his brains right now. My God. You know, and that's actually pertinent to second language actors when you think about it, because... It's and language teaching. It's like looking at looking at the same thing, the same problems or the same issues, but thinking outside the box and being creative about your teaching, um, or looking at the if you're a researcher, looking at the data, and and thinking at thinking of it in a different way so that you have something new to bring to the discussion. So there you go. I like it. God, I wish we had a deck of cards, kids. Nobody's calling in. Maybe we can end the show early. We can all go take a nap. Ooh, I think that's yeah. a great idea. That sounds good. Thank you so much for all of you listeners out there, and we will <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Oh. We can ask. You know, I'm actually going to ask. Um, I mean, you two, you know, sit here and we talk to people who call in, and I say things, but you all never really tell me what you think about the topic. So, I mean, what's this whole L1, L2 different stuff? What do you? Any comments on that? And you're both language. You're both advanced language learners, or not near native speakers, or something. So, what do you think? Is that too hard of a question to throw out to you? No, is it? I don't know. I mean, you you said that L two learners, right? When you listed your four differences, L two learners seemingly are non-native, like in some way. 
And I mean, you did say that that's not necessarily really a difference because it depends on right quantity, quality, access to input. But right. what happens to people who are bilingual? Is that is that different then? I mean, bilingual. Grow up a bilingual. You yeah. Mean, is there still is there still seemingly non-native-like ways in one of the two languages? Oh, yeah. Look, people like me, I grew up with two languages. Because you always become dominant in a language. Um, bilinguals from birth are not um, two monolinguals in one. Um, whatever language you get educated in, whatever language you wind up doing all your content work in, tends to become your dominant language. It just happens. Um, and which is why you get language shift. For example, you have people grow up a bilingual in the United States, like people like me, Spanish and English, and English takes over for them. And then after one or two generations, English becomes the language, and Spanish is just lost because it is the language of your education, it's the language of the press, it's the language of you of the government, and so on. Um, and which makes me always laugh about English only laws because <laughs> there's no way that you need an English only language in a country like this because these heritage languages tend to disappear after 1.5 or two generations. They just, um, and it has to do with dominance. Um, and we've done research on this, heritage language speakers like myself and others, um, in the non-dominant language, do some things like monolinguals and do some things like second language learners because there's always leakage in your head somehow. This is why we don't know quite what the L1 does. Um, we don't quite know what how the L1 in a second language situation, uh, interacts with the L2. Um, and so in bilinguals, we see what my friend Julie Ducius has called leakage. She calls it leakage between two languages. You see some leakage between the L1 and the L2, and it can go in the opposite direction too. Which is interesting is that after, if you, if you like Angelica's been in, how long have you been in the United States? 16 years. 16 years. Um, you do go to Germany off and on, but you spend most of your time in the United States. You, you function largely in English in the United States, right? Yep. So um, if we tested um, Angelica on some subtle properties of language processing, for example, she might look more English-like than German-like on some of them. Because, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> Julie Ducius, for example, my, who I just mentioned earlier, has some data on this. Hmm. that She shows that um, native Spanish speakers who have been living in the, in the United States for a very long time and function largely in English lose some mm. of the processing routines sure. in favor of English processing routines because they're not the, the, the Spanish it, daily input. Because, you, you know, you still need that as a, as a native speaker. You need that constant input in your language for you to maintain your native-like status. Um, otherwise, you can get, again, leakage from another language. So, anyway. Leakage. Leakage. Don't you like that leakage between It's languages? kind of a strange term. No, I think it's... Sounds like I think a diaper. That's, that's no. what comes to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of diaper stage, thankfully, but, you know, I mean, my kids are out of the diaper stage. <laughs> oh, yeah, stage. thankfully you are. No <laughs> kidding. This is your brain on Huggies, right? This is your brain on Huggies. Goodness. Oh well, gosh. I'm just going to say, I, I mean, I think I always... I talk about this a lot, too, when you, you mentioned the amount of hours that, that people... Um, that that you're exposed to language in a second language classroom as opposed to your first language. And I bring that up with students a lot of the time. And I think, and I think one of the, one of the questions though was always, okay, so what's that mean for the language classroom? So what should, it, what are the implications of that for what we're doing in the class? And I think that's the hard part for me is recognizing, okay, so we want to, mo we want to um, model our instruction on, on how you would first, you would learn your first language and, 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 tried to simulate that as much as possible in a second language classroom. But the reality is that just in terms of the amount of input, and as you mentioned, the quality of input, it's it's not the same. And so I think that it's uh, it's more difficult to, uh, and has implications for the for the classroom. So I don't know if it has implications for the classroom as much as it has implications for being honest with people about how long language learning takes and what, I mean, because you can't, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can fake, I mean, you can fake some language ability with conscious knowledge. I mean, that's clear. People have been doing that for centuries. So you can learn some rules and practice some things, and it looks like you're speaking and learning a language, but you're really just functioning from your, your explicit knowledge source. And what happens is eventually that has to give way to your implicit knowledge of language, which only gets there one way. And that's the hard part. I, mean, I think the implications really are about communicating to students and parents um, about how things happen. 
so that people have realistic expectations about curricula and realistic ideas about what teachers and students should be doing, what homework should look, homework should look like, mm-hmm. um, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Well, but I think if you look, for example, one of the things that you hear all the time is that, is, well, one year of language instruction in the high school is equivalent to one semester of language instruction at at the college level. And I just think that's absolutely absurd to say that. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, but people you. say that all the time. I agree with you. And, uh, and so that you should develop the same level of proficiency over one year in high school as you would in one semester in college. Well, the reality is that in high school, I mean, I taught high school, and I had the students five days a week for, I don't know what is 42 minutes a day or something like that, where over the entire year, so September to June, you know, whereas here I have them for less than 45 hours over the course of one semester. Right. So I just think it's absurd to to make that comparison. There's just, There just isn't a comparison. There isn't. There isn't. And I think it has to do with the old scope and sequence about how much grammar vocabulary you can explicitly teach and learn in a given time frame. Um, because since high school students aren't expected to do a lot of homework on language outside of class, where you can tell college students to spend a lot of time on, you can get them to explicitly learn more in a college class, for example. Um, and I think that's where that comes from. And, but in terms of proficiency and acquisition, you're right. I agree with you, Walter. You, that's, it's absurd to make that kind of equivalency. That's why I really think – I mean, I, I, I really think that the, the trenches are the people who are teaching in the high schools. And, you know, that's where if we can get them to acquire language at that, at that level because they have them for a significantly larger amount of time, then they're going to be able to get a lot further than they are in four semesters here and you know, four semesters over in their first two years of college or whatever. So, all right. Well, Alas. we got a call coming in. Um, poor Russ from Minnesota has been waiting for us while we're yammering oh, right here. Oh, sorry, Russ. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Russ, are you on the line? Uh, yes, I am. Hey, Russ. What part of Minnesota are you calling from? I'm calling from Minneapolis. We actually met in October at MCTLC. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I was asked these questions because you could be Russ from Duluth, or you could be Russ from who knows. The Canadian border. No, yeah, we. What was that? What was we that? We were talking about. What was that? Bull- we were talking about psych verbs. Oh yeah, yeah. I, not Russ. No, I know who you are. I, Russ, I know you very well. You gave me a ride to was it Best Buy? Did we go to Best Buy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I lost my um, <laughs> I lost my nice. adapter. What did not uh, my adapter? My cord. Oh, no. no, my cord. A power cord. Oh, my computer. I couldn't find mm. it, and so I had to go by. So Russ was very nice and drove me to um, Best Buy to get a power cord. So what's up, Russ? What are you calling about? Uh, well, you know, I wanted to keep the show going, so I had to call in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Russ. God, we have to threaten our listeners now. <laughs> call in or we're going to stop and, the show. Yeah, so I was just thinking, and uh, I've done a lot of reading um, of Vivian Cooks, and he talks a lot about, uh, you know, the differences between L1 and L2 and the similarities. And I'll just read a quote that he says here, and I'll see if you can react uh, to that. So he says that he talks about the differences and similarities but one should at least say that teachers should be wary of accepting advice about language teaching goals and methods based on the comparison of L1 and L2 learning, rather than the independent study of second language acquisition. And I think what he means here is that we know that children perfectly master their first language, and L2 learners don't really get close uh, to that oftentimes. So how much of our classroom teaching should be based on the L1 and L2 similarities that we perceive from UG or things like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a good point. I'm not sure, I, I, I'm not sure what he means, because I think that's a direct um, response to Steve Krashen's ideas, for example. I think that's what Vivian Cook is getting at. Um, but I, I think in the broader context of language teaching these days, um, people have accepted those ideas, you know, the basic crashing ideas, but then I've expanded on them and looked more at what's going on in second language acquisition to adapt and think about how um, you might um, make a second language curriculum. I mean, for example, like um, the TPRS people um, or, task, or task-based people or so on, um, where you have the kernel of what first language is like there somewhere. But the reality of the classroom is that you've got to do other things because a- a- adults have some needs that are different, for example, or any adolescents have some needs that are different from a child first language acquirer. Um, and so I, th- I think that's what he's getting at. Um, I don't remember that quote exactly, Russ. I don't know if I've ever read. Do you, is that from an article or from a book of his? 
It's from uh, the article that he wrote uh, a few years ago, but I think it's based on um, Chapter 10 of his book from 2008, I believe. His uh, It's like his fifth edition of the textbook that he wrote. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Second Language Teaching and Acquisition, I think it has a name like that. Um, and he has on his website just some articles that he also, that are affiliated or um, that touch on the same topics from his book, so I found it in one of those. Right, right. Well, I've always been a big proponent of what um, Patsy Lightbound said back in the 1980s um, in her article on Great Expectations, which we talked about, I think, this last fall. Um, I don't know if it was last fall, this last spring. Uh, no, it was a spring. I think it was a year ago almost. Um, and in that article, she says that the real, the real implications for language teaching from second language research are about having clear expectations about how language acquisition can happen and not happen. And um, and so once teachers understand that and have clear expectations, then they can start thinking about um, methods and curriculum, what's appropriate, not appropriate, so on and so forth. Um, so and that might be sort of what Vivian is saying as well. I don't know. Um, well, I know he's a huge uh, you know advocate for L2 learners and not comparing them to native speakers. So his expectations are to always compare an L2 learner to uh, say advanced L2 learners and not to native speakers. So I think you would feel very strongly about that. You know, setting ex- realistic expectations for the right, classroom. Right, yeah, I think I think, and that's different from what we're. He's. I don't think he's saying that first language acquisition, second language acquisition are fundamentally different, and therefore you can't draw a conclusion for teaching. I think he's saying from a research perspective, and when you look at the way, uh, uh, when when you look at when you want to look at what learners are doing, if you compare a second language learner to a native speaker all the time, you're always going to fall short um, because a second language learner is not a native speaker. Um, and so this goes back to speaking of Bly Roman. This is Bly Roman's um, comparative fallacy hypothesis that he developed also in the 1980s, which said that if you want to understand how inner language systems work, don't compare them to what native speakers do. Look at them in their own right for the properties of language they have in them. Um, and so, and, and I think that's, that's probably also seeping into what Vivian is saying about language teaching as well. Don't look to what native speakers do with language to teach language. Look at what second language learners are doing, figure out how that system works, and then work within the constraints and confines of how that, of how language develops in the mind brain and second language learner, which is actually not far from what S. Pitt Corda said back in 1967. So I think it all comes back like a boomerang it keeps coming back so yeah yeah so how are things going in Minnesota how are your studies going Russ uh things are going great um got a couple of conferences coming up I'm actually gonna be at AATSB in July as well um I'll be presenting there so I'm sure I'll see you around oh yeah you will I'll make sure I'm a president-elect as you know and I'm on the board now and I'm on the steering committee so they keep us pretty busy I try to get to sessions when I can but we have a lot of assigned duties, so I'm hoping what you and I have to do is write to each other and um, make sure we set up a time to at least have drinks or dinner together or do something. Uh, otherwise, I could be doing AHSP official work and and not run into you, So, but I don't want that to happen. So, Okay, sounds great. Yeah, I'll be in touch. Well, thanks, Russ. Thanks for calling in, and you have a great rest of the day. Talk to you soon. Yep, you too. Okay, yep, bye. bye-bye, Russ. Bye, Russ. Bye-bye. He was so great to me when I was in Minnesota this last year at the conference. Remember when I went to, um, I saw, who else, who did I see there? Um, Grant and all those people. It was, he, I just, all of a sudden I realized I didn't have a, uh, a, a power cord from my computer. I go, where is it? I lost it. And so he ran me to Best Buy and got me a power cord. That was very nice of him to do that. So. I've got an email question. I've, can I ask it? Sure, please. Okay. This is from. That's what your job is. Nina, Nina from California says, you mentioned earlier in this episode that students are often frustrated because their L2 isn't at the level of their L1. Students have told me that they want to express themselves more intelligently. I've noticed in some of my student evaluations that some students consider my classes babyish. We do lots of stories, etc., and I scaffold lots of authentic texts into easy French, to easy with quotes, she says. This may make the language seem babyish to students. I teach college. How do I make my input more intellectual for the students? Thank you. I don't know. You can't make your input more intellectual. I mean, input is communicative. It's not about intellect or anything like that. But um, I think this is where, like, 
issue, uh, this is why I talk about tasks, for example. So like the input-based tasks that I use um, have some pretty highfalutin concepts in them. So like um, the one we put up on our website, if, if um, Nina wants to go look at it, it's an input-oriented task that has people examining what they did last night um, and then drawing conclusions about how sedentary or active they are and then start to compare that to age groups. And it's all done by input. It's not, it's not at all... Um, you know, uh, an output or in a task in the traditional sense of output. So I think there are ways to get adult-related topic into the class through input. Um, and, um, and so, yeah. And the, the problem with, with that, of course, is that it, it, it's hard to keep your input focused and sustained on just one thing to help them along. And this is why you get to tell people why acquisition takes so long, because the imp is going to be all over the place, um, and you're going to get out of it what you get out of it. All right, we got a uh, phone call coming in. I better take it. Oh, my God, we only have 10 minutes left. Now the phone calls are coming in right and left. Look at that. We got Karen on the line from Denver. Karen, are you on the line? This is Karen. I'm here. Hey, Karen. How are things going out there in Denver land? I'm, I'm great. It's 25 degrees. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, that's like, it's 20 degrees yeah. here today, so yeah, we, we, we're with you. <laughs> I understand you're calling about the Diva Challenge question, the DCQ. I am. I'm just so shocked other people don't know this. Well, let me, let me repeat it, uh, the question, and we'll All see. Right. What screen diva from the 1930s is mentioned in the very first line of the Kim Karen song, Betty Davis Eyes? Do you know the it's answer, Marilyn Karen? Monroe. No, no. Karen. No. No, it's not Marilyn Monroe. Well, no, 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 wonder nobody knows it. This makes the second time I've called in and gotten the wrong answer. On <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, no, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Okay, I told everybody it was a tough one, but gosh, all you got to do is go on Google and do lyrics to Betty I Davis. I did go on eyes. Google. Google says it's Marilyn Monroe, but I only went on there because I thought I knew what it was and I was confirming. Google no, just says go to, Marilyn just, Monroe. Just type in lyrics to Betty Davis' eyes and then the lyrics will I, come up and you'll know. Are you questioning me or Google? <laughs> I'm questioning you because because <laughs> Betty Davis eyes lyrics to make sure it was Marilyn Monroe and it was Marilyn Monroe. No, oh no, my, no. not in the very first line. The very first line. All right, line. so no, this is it. I quit now. Oh no, no, don't, don't no, quit. No, no, don't, no, quit. No, no, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. <laughs> well, we quit earlier it. today, right? So yeah, I'm, yeah, fair I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible diva. But you, um, you needed, you need to know that it wasn't that we weren't calling. It's that the lines were jammed. We were all trying to get through at the same time. Ah. Yeah, something was going on we, uh, with the lines. But... We didn't neglect you. Okay, I'm looking. Okay, Karen, just so you know, I just googled <laughs> lyrics to Betty Davis Eyes, and there is the first line in front of me, and it's not Marilyn Monroe. Okay, so Colorado Google is clearly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Better shut down those weed factories that's affecting the Internet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I want to give you time to have somebody else try, but um, I wanted to um, get you to answer the question that somebody's posting on Mixler about given what you're saying about L1 and L2, what should we as teachers who are non-native speakers be doing to improve our own language? What really works? Obviously, input, but someone just posted, does it really make any difference if you sit and watch CNN in Spanish since there's no interaction? Of course it makes a difference. Of course it does. Um, it does. It does. It does. Um, because particularly if you're at, a, at, at an advanced or highly advanced level, you're, it's just like any native speaker. We said earlier, you can lose your, you can start to attrite in your first language if you don't have constant exposure to it. And so... Um, so the same thing is true for advancement. If you don't have constant exposure, then you're not you're not keeping up with your those skills, and you're not developing new ones. For example, so um, so watching telenovelas is that enough? Watching, or are there more things? Watching everything and anything, just getting as much as you possibly can. Um, and of course, travel helps too. So because you need the one-on-one -on -one interaction too. That's what makes second language acquisition more challenging. It's very hard to get one-on-one -on -one interaction. Uh, in a classroom, which is what children children tend to get one-on-one -on -one interaction, unless they're twins, which is why twin speech is delayed um, compared to single children's speech. But um, all right, Karen, well, I gotta let you go. Um, oh wait a minute, I just got a note that's saying um, that I'm trying to figure out the, the things in front of me are flashing, Karen. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> 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 okay, so. Anyway, so I'm going to let you go, Karen, because we've got another caller coming in, and maybe it's a Diva Challenge question. We never know. Hopefully they have the right answer. <laughs> go Google Betty Davis. Colorado Google. Go, go Colorado Google Google's Betty Davis broken. eyes again. All right. 
Yeah. Or, or pull it up, right. pull it up on YouTube and listen. Pull it up on YouTube and listen. Okay. All right. All right bye. See bye you later. Bye, 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 Karen. There we go. <laughs> oh, poor Karen thought she had the answer. She thought everybody else didn't know, and she didn't know. That's so sad. All right. That's we got the second call. time she said. I know. Okay, we got a last-minute call coming in from Brian from uh, the great state of Michigan, it looks like. Brian, are you on the line? I am here. Hey, Brian, where are you calling from? I am calling just east of you guys over in Howell, Michigan. Over in Howell. Well, great. So what are you howling about? <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to howl about something, but you guys are running out of time. I'll be happy to answer the uh, Diva Challenge question. Well, yes. if, you, if you want to bring a prize, you can answer the, the Diva Challenge question. Do I, let me repeat it for everybody one last okay. time. Okay. So what screen diva from the 1930s is mentioned in the very first line of the Kim Carnes song, Betty Davis Eyes? Brian, win a prize, please. Gene Harlow. Yay! That's yes. it. Ding, 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 ding. That's the very first sentence. Her hair is hollow gold. Yes. Brian, we love you. Thank you for calling in for that. <laughs> My pleasure. That wasn't... The reason for calling in, but I'll, I'll take it anyway. Okay, well, we'll make sure that um, stay on the line because if you didn't give Jennifer your information, you're going to need to give it to her so we can send you a prize. But um, we got about two minutes left before I have to start wrapping up. If you have a quick question or something you want to comment on, well, I was I was actually calling in originally to talk about uh, motivation. You mentioned that earlier, and uh, you know I think there's belief among some people who don't know better that uh, you know only smart people can learn a second language, but um, I think it's our job as, as teachers of a second language to really, you know, go about educating other people that if you learn the first language, you can learn the second language. It doesn't matter if you're a special ed student. doesn't matter if you're learning disabled in any way. It, it doesn't matter what the other external factors are. Everyone can learn a second language because they learned the first one. That's um, right. That's right. So I think, I think that that motivation question um, has certainly helped me to encourage students that, you know, there's no such thing as a grammar error, as you said. It's, uh, it's just an you know, expression of what they're thinking at the time. Um, you know, you don't have to learn uh, encyclopedic knowledge of uh, verb charts to speak a second language. Everyone can learn it. And I think we need to make sure that everyone understands that, especially counselors and principals and uh, the public as well. Right, right. Preach it, Brian. I, <laughs> I, I mean, the problem with this part of this is inherited from the study of Latin. Remember, Latin and Greek were taught to those intelligent, upper-educated kids um, to distinguish them from the lower-educated population, and then those kinds of belief systems just transferred into the teaching of modern languages over time. Um, so it's unfortunate, and you are absolutely right, Brian. Absolutely right. All right, Brian, well, i got to let you go because I'm getting the signal. It's almost time to wrap up here, so um, thanks for calling in. Make sure you stay in the line and give Jennifer your information, okay? Sounds good. Okay. Thanks right. for calling, Brian. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Brian. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good point, Brian. It's absolutely true. I, 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 I'll tell the story next week. We don't have time about my friend who took over uh, a class, a, a group of unwanted kids in, in a school district one time um, and got them to a level of Spanish that was superior to some of her colleagues. But that's a, that's a story for another show. All right. Well, we're wrapping up here. Um, want to do our thanks, our acknowledgments. As usual, we'll begin by thanking our technical producer, Daniel Trego. Hey, Daniel. Our media producer, Luca Giappone, who expertly runs all the little um, PR things and a website for us and kinds of stuff. Our talented and trusted call handler, muscle man, Dustin DeFelice, who this week is training with and working with our new intern, Jennifer Lee. She's learning all kinds of things for the show. Today she was doing phones, so thank you, Jennifer. We'd like to thank the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. Yay, Christopher. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. It's just us, right? <laughs> and of course, we thank all you listeners out there as well, and especially the people who called in today. Give them a big Yay. hand. Yay. 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 They're keeping the show alive by calling in. There we go. Okay, so join us next week as we begin to touch on a very important topic. We talk a lot about input on this show, right? And the role of input in language teaching learning. Next week, we're going to talk about input processing as part of language acquisition. And you're going to be surprised to find out that input processing may not be what you think it is. So until then, have a great weekend and happy second language acquisition to all of you out there. Say goodbye, kids. 
Bye, Bye everybody. Bis nächste Woche. And remember, you were born that way.